and welcome to the Hey You Got This podcast. I'm your co-host, Lizzie. And I'm your co-host, Stacia. And today we come to you with our July, oh my gosh, nope, August. <laughs> Dang it, Stacia. Our March book club read. <laughs> Every time. I was like, I got this. Like, hey, you got this, Stacia. No, I don't no got one, it. I mean, it's 2020. No one knows what day it is, what year it is. I love it. I saw it someone the other day being like, well, I just realized the calendar on my sh- saved screen on my phone is from oh July God, or whatever, <laughs> like June. Yeah. I'm like, yep, that is 2020. I know. Somebody said something like, hey, can you have this to me by September 1st? And I was like, easy peasy. And then I was like, wait. Oh, that's, that's today. Today. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. So corrected. We are here discussing our August book club read, <laughs> which is 10% Happier by Dan Harris. And if you haven't read the book, but you are still joining in on this episode, there are going to be plenty of good discussions had within this conversation about mindfulness, as well as what he talks about in the book as really being a approachable way to go about mindfulness. I don't know about you, Lizzie, but I really liked kind of his no BS, like leave behind all the gurus that are telling you all this stuff and just his real honest approach to all the questions he had that came up on his journey towards mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And so there was just so much about this book that I really enjoyed and I'm really excited to discuss it with you as well as discuss just mindfulness in general. Again, I know that's something we both care a lot about and how we try to go through life with more mindfulness. So uh, stay tuned, guys. This conversation's going to be good. It's going to be Gucci. No, I really liked it because I, you know, Stacia and I are pretty woo-woo and we get like into the woo. But it definitely, like, I wasn't always like this and I know you weren't either. And I thought this was a really good book for anybody who maybe isn't super woo-woo or is curious about mindfulness because his journey, if you will, and his approach is super relatable. He brings up, you know, all of the comments that he got from his friends and his loved ones that I think like I could relate to a lot. And it's just, there's not like Stacia said, a lot of gurus or a lot of the ethereal stuff. He really just focuses on the facts and his own story, which I thought was really inspiring. Yeah. And I, one of the biggest surprises for me from the book was not understanding the lives of news correspondents and oh my God, like the crazy things they see and do in their life. I was like, dang, you live a really exciting, interesting, fascinating life where you get to talk to so many interesting people. Totally. And uh, so that was just a fun insight when he started off talking a lot about who he was and his job I was kind of like okay when are we going to talk about mindfulness we get it, dude. Yeah. but it was actually really interesting to kind of get that sneak peek into the day in the life of somebody that works for a news station okay so I had the same thought process when I was listening to it so for those of you who are like who the fuck is Dan Harris Dan Harris is a newscaster who works for ABC News. He's been on like Good Morning America and Nightline and all of the big programs, but he, you know, in his 20s worked his way through like working at really small news stations, which is usually how you get your start in news media, working at some place that is just like bottom of the totem pole, no listeners, and then worked his way into being at the actual network, which was ABC. And so 
he really starts out the book telling about like his whole career path and his background. And I thought the same thing too, Stacia. I was like, okay, dude, like stop, we get it. But it ends up making so much sense and being so relevant because you realize his job is so stressful and he is so hard on himself and such a high achiever. And it like, he cues it up really nicely for why people like that need mindfulness, which I really liked. Yes, I don't have anything to say. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, So I'll I'll tell a little bit more about his story. So he, you know, was really intense throughout his 20s. He did reporting in like areas of war in the Middle East. That was so wild to read about. So I was like, oh my gosh, you would have PTSD. (laughs) Right, like of course you're stressed out. And so, and he was doing a lot of really hard drugs and just like, you know, working hard and playing really hard too. And he was in New York, which is like, known for you live there I know it's (laughs) like the work hard play hard like classic news traditional media mentality and how this all culminated is he was on air for Good Morning America presenting on the news and he had an on-air panic attack and when you're in the news like that he there was like no way for somebody else to take over he just had to keep going as he's having this highly televised meltdown. And Stacia, I don't know if you watched the video of his meltdown because it's like available for everyone to see. I meant to, but I didn't get around to it. (laughs) I've watched it and it's, it's interesting because it's like, I know for him, it was a really intense moment, but as you're watching it, it's not like as, I think people think that panic attacks are this like really visceral, extreme, physical and emotional experience. And that you can see. That you can see and you really can't, like so much of it is internal. Like you can see him sweating and getting flustered, but like I thought it was a really good representation also of what a panic attack is because I've had panic attacks before and my friends have been like, hey, we're having a panic attack? I didn't know. And I'm like, oh, really? Because I thought I was dying. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, so that happened. And then it just kind of, you know, sets into motion him going to doctors and trying to get prescriptions and just kind of slowly, he was a religion reporter, which I think is really fascinating. He just kind of slowly found mindfulness and was pretty reluctant to try it, but then it ended up clicking and working wonders for him. And then he's since written a couple books and he has a podcast and really impacted people in positive ways. So that's kind of like the story of Dan Harris and why he's doing what he does and now you don't need to read the book that's the whole book that's the end of the episode (laughs) I really liked too how he explained the title of the book and when we got to that point in the Mm. book when he was discussing like 10% happier as being this way to make mindfulness more approachable because like what are you tangibly going to get from this so it can make this small promise that like okay I believe mindfulness and meditation can make you 10% happier and that that is a really reasonable outcome for the commitment to trying out mindfulness and seeing what it can do for your life. And I think that it has the power to do more than 10%, but I liked how he used that because people would just look at him like, what are you doing and what are you talking about? And so being like this whole book and his message is like that more approachable version of it. And I think the 10% happier as his like description for it was really helpful. I loved it. And he totally comes to it by accident. Like he talks about in the book how he's really excited about meditation and mindfulness. And he takes a vacation to go on a 10 day silent meditation retreat and all of these things. And his colleagues are like, what is the deal with this? Like, why do you like this? And he just offhanded says to one of his colleagues, well, it makes me 10% happier. 
And he sees her be like, oh, well, I want to know about that. I think that's so cool. And I, he says in the book, he's like, I had found my shtick. Like I had found <laughs> it, which I loved. But I think that's so helpful because Stacia, I'm sure you run into this too, but I feel like I just want to shout the benefits of like mindfulness and meditation and journaling from the rooftops. And I definitely like the teenage girls that I coach, for example, are always like, this is so weird. Why do we have to do this? Like, what are the actual benefits? And it's like, yeah, it makes you 10% happier. That's easier or easy to explain. No one is going to be like, well, I'm happy enough already. No, thank you. (laughs) I would like to meet that person. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm too happy. Amazing. Yeah. And honestly, for me, this came at a timely point in my life. And I don't know if it's just because of the pandemic and quarantine and everything going on, but I honestly have been feeling slightly disconnected from meditation and my mindfulness practice. Like there's still plenty of ways I am being mindful throughout my day, but I'm also not quite as intentional as I want to be. And so it was a really nice kind of reminder to get back on the track of doing the things that actually do make me 10% happier. And so there was a point where he talked about responding versus reacting, which is definitely something that I've been practicing more and more of in my life. And just as I go through like my recovery and effective communication and all these things and learning about myself and that like truly when you're able to respond to a situation versus react, you're going to get a much better outcome. And that being able to be mindful allows that space for you to recognize what's happening and not just act on autopilot. And so for example, like in last week's episode, when I talked about that man who was staring at me and how triggering it was, that was definitely an example of me reacting to a situation, not responding. It was completely like uh, my emotions took over and I had zero groundedness, zero centeredness. And I realized that like, okay, it's things like daily practices of mindfulness and meditation that make it so that you can create that space for yourself in those situations where you want to react versus respond. Totally. And so reading this really just helped to reinforce like, okay, Stacia, you have all these amazing tools and I get that with what's been happening in the world, like moving across the country in a pandemic and everything like that, I kind of lost some of the tools that have been helping me. And so I was just really grateful for this book and the opportunity that it had to kind of get me back on track. I'm so glad. Yeah. When he was, it's so funny. I actually thought of you when he was talking about like, you know, coming and practicing mindfulness because it reminded me of like what you say about like working out, just like show up, you know, don't wait to be inspired because I think, I think with mindfulness in particular, we often come to it when we're in crisis. Like, I feel terrible. Everything's stressful. Like, this year is a great example. I feel like so many people at the beginning of quarantine got into mindfulness for the first time. And it's just a good reminder to, like, keep doing it every day, even when you don't feel like you need it. Like, keep, you know, don't just work out when you're like, I'm out of shape, right? You, like, keep doing it as a self-care practice because... I mean, I relate to that. I think it's hard sometimes when things are busy or you don't feel like you quote unquote need mindfulness to make yourself practice. And yeah, it also made me inspired to like keep committing to it. And Dan Harris also talks a lot in this book about like, okay, I had two minutes between like segments I had to film. So rather than hopping on my phone, I would just sit there and breathe. And I was like, God, that is such a good reminder that it doesn't have to be 
Like this fancy, complex thing. You can just be sitting and being in the moment. I like that. And I also like the fact that that's a good lesson just in the fact that we have all these things that can distract us and take us out of the present moment. And so doing what we can to resist those moments, because even if all you have is the two minutes to practice mindfulness by not grabbing your phone, also just being able to... It shouldn't even be called boredom, but like sit without something to do and then figure out what's going to be next versus, oh, I'm sitting here with nothing to do, so I better grab my phone. And that was one of the things that I really liked about being at the cabin this last weekend was it was four days. I think it said I had three pickups on my phone each day, and it was when I decided to play intentional music for what I was doing, and that was the only time I touched my phone. So cool. And so there would be moments where I'm like, okay, like I kind of have done the things I felt like I wanted to do up until this point. So what am I going to do now? And I was like, hmm, like, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it led me to pick up my book that I'm reading and read the book, or it led me to go sit outside and just watch the trees and the wind blowing through them and the birds flying around, just allowing me to be more present in the moment. And so I feel like this book was really just timely as a reminder of we have constant distractions in our lives. We have so many things wanting our attention, so many ways that we can give our attention and our time to. And I find myself, the more and more I'm on my phone, the more anxious and not mindful I am, which is so wild to me because it just made me come to a lot of realizations having the time away from my phone as well as reading this book. I was like, huh, my phone is a huge source of mindlessness in my life. And how is that going to, how do I want to proceed now that I know this? And I mean, I've known it, but having four days away from it, it was like, okay, Stacia, like I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't mindlessly eating. Like I literally ate when I was hungry. Oh, what a concept. And I didn't realize (laughs) how often it is where if I'm like staring at my phone for an hour, then I go and like eat whatever I want and I am not paying any attention. And so having that disconnected time to really be with myself, it just really was like, oh, wow, mindfulness is real important. And I obviously like my whole coaching program is like a mindful approach to fitness and eating and all these things. So it is something that I do on the daily, try to intentionally include in my life. But it was perfect timing for this book and for the retreat and for the mindfulness practice and just to remember like, oh my gosh, this actually is really important in my happiness and my contentedness and like reducing my anxiety. Well, and I think you you made a really good point too of like when we're not on our phones, like we feel more like ourselves and also that like you can always be learning about mindfulness. Like you're saying, you're like, I teach people about this, but like there's always more layers. And I like, you know, was aware of that, but reading the book was a really good reminder for me if there's like all of these different types of mindfulness and there's all of these different ways that you can practice. And so it's really not something that you're like, well, mastered that, time to move on. Like you, there's always new things that you can be exploring. I mean, it's like fitness or anything these days in like the age of technology of just like the learning and the work is never really done. But you mentioned your retreat, Stacia. Do you want to tell us a little bit? Because I feel like it's super relevant to the book. Do you want to tell, tell the class what you did? Yeah, so in case you missed out, I spent four days at this cabin in the woods outside of Spokane, this gorgeous, gorgeous cabin like oh my goodness so such stunning views surrounded by the trees and nature and 
No running water, no electricity, no reception, just me, myself, and I, and a good book, and a hammock, and Mm. some food. And uh, I spent a lot of time, I created little kind of intentional, I don't even want to say like shrines, because that seems like I'm worshiping something, but I wasn't. I would just had like set up uh, different things. Like I brought pictures of me as a child with like the affirmations that I tell my inner child, because a lot of the work that I was doing was for reconnecting and healing my inner child. And it was really cool because uh, I realized just in the act of setting aside the time and creating that intention and making the space for me to reconnect with myself was like in and of itself a gift of healing. It wasn't just necessarily the time spent at the cabin. It was literally just the act of creating this for myself was like a small way to add to my healing. And it's not like there were huge moments of like, aha, like my life has changed forever. But it's just one of those things where I was able to get a lot out of it. I was able to connect a lot with myself and kind of come back with more more ideas about how I want to intentionally show up in my life, as well as I wrote a lot of letters that, um, it's actually funny, I went through an entire pen of, like, and the entire ink of one pen. That's, like, so <laughs> impressive. Which, like, they're my favorite pens, so, I mean, they're not, like, meant to last forever, but uh, it was just, uh, I wrote, a, I did a lot of journaling um, to see, checking in where I'm at, how I'm feeling about being there, and what's going on for me, as well as uh, I wrote some so like I said I was there to do amends with myself but also there were a few people that I was working on making amends with so I wrote some letters to some people and funny story the interesting thing about amends is that it really is like such a gift to yourself when you own your part in something and show up for yourself in that way and I think a lot of times it can feel like disempowering to apologize to someone especially someone that might be difficult to apologize because you think they also did something wrong but there is such power in giving yourself the gift of taking responsibility for your life and freeing yourself from your role in any part of a relationship either going sour or like things not working out. Because one of the letters that I wrote was to uh, an old friend who I honestly don't even remember what really happened with what the fallout was, but I wrote to her my letter and then I messaged her and was like, hey, can you give me an address? Like I have something that I wanted to send you. And she went and sent me this really nice message and was like, I am so sorry for everything that happened. And so it's just funny how like an apology can beget an apology, like that an amends can bring someone else into a space where maybe they can make an amends back. And like, you don't do it with that intention or that expectation, but it is just cool too, to see how that allowed space for her to make some amends that were on her heart. And so... Yeah, I love that. That was like a cool little bonus when I got back and I messaged her with the letter that I had written um, to hear that feedback from her. So... What you're... The story you're telling is such a good reminder too that... And I am not perfect at this. I do this all the time where I'm like, I'm not going to be the first one to say something or I'm not going to apologize. We like get so caught up in our pride that we don't ask for help or reach out to somebody and then it just stews. I have certainly been on both ends of that before. And it's like the moment you reached out to this person, it sounds like she immediately responded and it's just goes like she probably really was waiting for you know that permission to be like yeah I do want to talk about this so everybody go apologize (laughs) (laughs) go make Uh, your amends but it is a good reminder like sometimes 
I, I've had to work through this too of like, you don't need to be like the prideful person. Sometimes you need to be the bigger person or the person who like initiates it. And that can be uncomfortable, but it's also really, really brave and really, really cool. So I'm so proud of you, Stacia. It was really, really a special gift and treat to myself. And yes, like tears were shed and like there were times where it was difficult, but at the same token, I really feel like you even said in the last episode, like having solo retreats and little solitude moments are so important. And it's something that I highly recommend, even if you don't feel like there's anything you need to face right now. But maybe if there's just like you feel disconnected from yourself, finding ways to offer yourself moments of solitude, even if it isn't a whole retreat or whatever else, finding moments where you get to reconnect back to yourself is like so important. And it's something that I'm realizing I need in my life because otherwise I get swept away by the hustle and bustle. So like removing myself from my routine to really figure out what's important to me. I love that. I was able to come away with a lot more takeaways beyond just the amends. It was just like a really cool retreat for myself. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, Stacia made a great point. You guys can even take a little mini retreat by just like being away from technology for a couple hours. I did that over the weekend and I felt like a whole new person and... My anxiety is always like, well, if you don't text someone back immediately, they're going to hate you. And, you know, like I had friends text me that day and then I got back to them like either the next day or like that night. And everyone was just like, "Okay, cool. Like, whatever. Glad you were away from your phone. I'm a little bit jealous, you know. So it's a good reminder to do that. So in the book, he talks a lot about like the different... I guess, misconceptions about people who are meditating or practicing mindfulness. Like he talks a lot about like people who are worried that if they practice mindfulness, they'll lose their edge or that they'll be lazy. What are your thoughts on that? And like, what has your own experience been? For me, I feel like I'm not somebody that's super driven by career goals and achievements. So I'm like the opposite. What's that like? Not that you're like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I know it's a three that, this might not be familiar <laughs> for you, Lizzie, but I'm here to tell you that we're not all that it's way. And like, we all have our gifts and personalities. But for me, that was never really something that I was worried about being more mindful. For me, it was like, oh, sweet. Like, I'm a peacemaker. So for me, I want to find peace at all costs. And so for me, I'm like, mindfulness was super inviting because I was like, yes, this means I can have peace. Like, give it to me, give it to me. So I do, I really liked how he approached it in the book. But for me, I was just like, okay, like Stacia doesn't have an edge. So like, I don't have an edge to lose, guys. you do have an edge. (laughs) But I do think that for me, it reminded me of with my last relationship, going through therapy with him and different things that we discussed and went through his way of going through life. And Dan Harris mentioned it was he motivated himself through criticism. So if I can just criticize myself enough into action, I'll get done what needs to get done. And I know that Dan Harris mentioned that. And I know that my therapist was like, okay, well, like, yes, that that may have worked for you to a certain extent, but there comes a point where that stops working for you. And uh, really, we should be like operating from a place of love, not criticism. And like, that's the dream we're working towards. And my ex was like, nah, I'm cool. I like just criticizing the shit out of myself and other people. It's it's great. It's working well. But besides that point, I just found it really, I remember that point in the book sticking out to me because I was like, oh yeah, if he is experiencing that and then finding freedom from that 
inner critic and that voice in the head that's telling you that you're not enough or all these different things, that mindfulness really helps to quiet that voice. And I think that we all have inner critics that when it runs the show tend to lead to more anxious thoughts and feelings of not good enough and all these other things. And so mindfulness, while it may take off the edge of what you think is giving you the motivation and the drive to do what you're doing, I think when you truly quiet the voices in your head and align with who you are as a person, that you're going to have way more of an edge. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a good point. I know I related to him so hard when he was like, I just criticize because I am that person to myself. I have always operated with the like, well, if I say all like if I say all of these things or I criticize them, it like somehow makes it so like nobody else can. It's like I've already thought of it, so you That's know like I thought of sister. everything. <laughs> therefore, I know, and so then it's like so. Therefore, like I'll somehow be perfect or can avoid this criticism. Which spoiler, guys, that's not how it works. Um, <laughs> you still get criticized, and so yeah, for me, I've found. Because I also was, when I first started thinking about mindfulness, I was like, I don't want to do this. This seems like a waste of time. Like there's so many other more productive things I could do. What if I, yeah, I'm not as productive or I just become like a marshmallow of a human. And my own experience, it has made me so much more driven and disciplined actually, but in a way more productive way. And I'm able, like you were kind of referencing to be like, what's, you know, if I'm like procrastinating on something versus just being like, well, I'm procrastinating and I'm going to wait till the last minute. I can be like, why am I procrastinating on this? Like what's going on? And then I'll be like, okay, like my body's feeling really like anxious about this. Why do I feel anxious? I feel like I'm going to fail, you know, like, and so it just gives me the tools to like work through that stuff a lot quicker and also to just like be able to focus more and like come up against, you know, so much of mindfulness and meditation is, and like, I always tell my yoga students this, but it's like, learning how to be in uncomfortable situations. It's like that sports quote you always hear, like get comfortable being uncomfortable. But like for me, mindfulness has like really been that. Like it just, you get better at doing hard things and like exploring yourself and pushing your limits. And like, I'm not saying that like all my barriers are just magically gone, but at least you're like able to see your barriers or like be aware of them or like at least like understand like where they might be or how you can work through them. So I I get like, he talked a lot about people who like overcorrect, like that anecdote. He was like, there were a bunch of Buddhists who were at a restaurant and no one would make an order because no one wanted to express like a personal preference. Like I think it's, it's easy to get too mindful, if you will, or like to take it the wrong way. But yeah, for me, I've just found like so many benefits to it. And I know you and I are both very fitness focused and I always tell people, I'm like, you train your body. Like, why would you not be trying to train your brain to be mm-hmm. better? And I know he says that too. He like talks about like your mind is a muscle, like it needs to be worked out too. And I think like you mentioned, one thing that I really like about mindfulness is that it gives you the opportunity to be curious instead of critical. Mm -hmm. So like as these feelings come up, as these thoughts come up, like you said, you ask them questions, like you get curious about it as opposed to either A, pretending like they don't exist because guess what they do, (laughs) or B, criticizing them that they shouldn't exist because guess what they do. And that I 
I love the idea that mindfulness creates this curiosity instead. And like, I feel like curiosity comes without judgment and that like, ideally that's how we are approaching our mindfulness and like the thoughts that come to us and the feelings that we're experiencing, that we're able to detach the judgment from it through just what is it here to tell me? Why am I feeling this way? What's coming up for me? And why might this be coming up for me? Because even when I was in my super reactive state, I know that my practice this far has gotten me to a place where I at least recognized pretty much immediately that I was in a reactive state. So I wasn't able to stop the reaction, but I was able to, a few minutes later, I actually like recorded a little video of me processing what was going on for me as a tool of like, okay, so I'm having this reaction. What's coming up for me? Why am I I having this reaction? Where am I feeling it in my body? So it's like not always like, okay, now that I have mindfulness, I'm never reactive. I'm always responding. But like, if I react, I can then figure out how to respond moving forward. Whereas before I would have never in a million years had any idea what was going on for or me. Or like even know why you reacted. Like, never. you know, like now I feel yeah. like if I blow up at someone, I'm not like, where did that come from? I'm like, oh, that happened because X, Y, Z. And then I can be like, hey, I'm sorry that happened. Here's what was going on. You know, like it just, it helps you understand yourself better. And I want to mm-hmm. ask you about Stacia. You mentioned compassion. And towards the end of the book, he talks a lot about practicing loving kindness and like compassion-based meditation, which I know you are like a huge fan of. So let's like talk about that. What is it? How has it helped you? Yeah. So I loved when he started to talk about meta, which is the compassion aspect of mindfulness and meditation, which is offering loving kindness to others, to yourself, to strangers, to friends, to people that are not sitting too happily on your heart (laughs) that are causing problems in your life that may be hard to offer that compassion to. And I thought it was so interesting, his perspective on that being a challenging aspect of mindfulness for him. He's like, oh God, compassion. It's so hard. (laughs) And so it was was cute because I was like, oh my gosh, I literally like try so hard to be a compassionate giving human being. And so I'm like, give me all all the meta like I love meta and I even have a recording of a loving kindness meditation you do. which I can we'll include link a link up here. in the show notes because the one I recorded is only like 13 minutes like totally accessible and I really do think I mean especially given the current climate in this world that Meta is something we could all use a little mm, bit more I know, of. <laughs> I know. Something that somebody, it was like in a, in a mindfulness either, it was some, something mindfulness related, some content that I was consuming a couple of years ago, but it was on the topic of meta and it, and meta is spelled M-E-T-T-A, guys. It's a, like meta world peace, like the meta world peace. player that changed oh, yeah, He name. talks about meta world peace <laughs> in the book, which I loved. Um, But they were talking about, they were like, what if you just approached people as if they were like giving you their best rather than being like, why did Stacia do this? Like, oh, she like intentionally didn't do blah, blah, blah. Just be like, maybe that was like the absolute best that Stacia could do and just, or being compassionate. Like maybe Stacia didn't, I don't know what, like I'm trying to come up with an example. Maybe Stacia didn't turn in that PowerPoint deck because like something was happening or she needed help, you know, versus like, 
And obviously, I'm sh- when I first heard this, and I'm sure some of you are listening to this being like, um, no, we need to hold people accountable. And like, what if someone's just being shitty? That's still totally the case. It's not, it's not like one or the other, but it's also like recognizing and trying to have compassion for each other and just be like, maybe this person's having a hard day. It's that like quote you hear about like, oh, someone cut me off on the freeway and I was so pissed. But then I realized that they were delivering a baby and that's why they were speeding. So I have found that helpful when someone's being really, really terrible to me or I get really worked up about something just to like come back to that idea of compassion and also compassion towards yourself, which is really hard to do. (laughs) Tell me about it. It's like, oh my gosh, I love being compassionate with everybody. And then I'm like, stupid Stacia, why'd you mess up? I know, (laughs) I know. Wait, giving it to myself would actually be pretty cool too. And I really like actually he mentions in the book about how I don't remember if it was when he was talking to the Dalai Lama or just having a conversation with someone about how it's a gift you give yourself like it isn't something you don't offer compassion to others for others it is something that is for you and I really like that idea because think of the anger you hold on to because of how someone else was being right and if you instead are compassionate towards that person you get to let go of the weight of carrying around that anger and resentment towards the other person. And I do like, I think you made an important point about, yes, I think this, that compassion can coexist with accountability and that it's not like, okay, we just walk around and excuse all shitty behavior and just be like loving kindness. Loving kindness, (laughs) loving kindness. Yeah. And you can still be like, this person is toxic. Right. But I think it, it's a helpful tool. I also think this is part of, I've been reflecting on this a lot as I was listening to the book, but I think this also comes with like not being like having a fully developed brain, essentially like not being in your early 20s or a child where you're able to like just have the perspective and you have more life experience and your brain is also just like you know from a science perspective able to fully like comprehend these things where you can look back on past situations that might have been really frustrating and be able to have compassion and be like oh you know I can now see it from this person's perspective or trying to be like this person really wronged me but how can I have compassion for where they were at at the moment it's I mean my mindfulness practice has been we were talking about this before the podcast um, before we recorded it's been really helpful for me and just like processing some shitty experiences or shitty things that happened to me and understanding, you know, not necessarily like being like, oh, it's totally fine that you did that to me now, but being like, I understand and have compassion for how that might have happened given the situation, right? Obviously this doesn't apply to everything, guys. If someone like murdered your family or like sexual assault, right? Like there are certain topics that this... But compassion is still a gift though. I know it's hard, but I feel like I remember, what was it? It was somebody who like their father the father of like a victim of like a serial killer was like I forgive you to the person who was like on trial and it was just this really beautiful moment and like yes I'm not saying that this is something that people come to easily or whatever else but that really goes to show that that was a gift he was giving himself he wasn't doing it to make the person who committed this crime feel better it was something that made him feel better yeah I mean you can't hold on anger for that forever it just will like tear it it festers and it'll tear you apart 
Hi, you guys. Stacia and I are so excited to share that we now have a Hey, You Got This podcast newsletter that you can sign up for. The link is in our show notes as well as our Instagram bio. And by signing up for our email list, you will be notified every time a fresh episode drops. You will get extra show notes and details from each episode, along with some other fun and exclusive pieces of content from Stacia and I. Thank you so much for your support, and we can't wait to see you in your inbox. My last question for you. So, you know, so much of what we talk about on, Hey, you got this, the podcast and our brand is very feminine forward. And this was, you know, from the perspective of a cis white male who was in a fairly privileged situation. What was your takeaway from that? How did you feel about it? That's a really good question. <laughs> I, I had really that thought one on you. I didn't even put it in our yes. notes. <laughs> <laughs> But I appreciate that because I think that is something really important to acknowledge. And I think honestly, as somebody who's like trying to have more compassion for cis white men, Hard to do. <laughs> that, this, <laughs> that this book was a good opportunity to be like, okay, you are relatable. You have your struggles too. Cause we all we do all have, have our struggles. Our struggles. Yeah. And that honestly, I feel like he did a good job of speaking on his privilege and his upbringing and the opportunities and those types of things. So it didn't come off as pretentious to me, which is really nice. I think he did a good job of making it accessible to, I mean, shoot, it was accessible to me, which I'm literally in a like very man hating stage right now. So... The fact that I wasn't like... No, he's very... I mean, he's clearly meditates. He's very self-aware. But yeah, I just thought... I mean, I know you and I are the same. Like, I'm like, give me the weirdest, most like feminine woo-woo shit and I will dive in. And so it was a refreshing perspective and also just a good reminder too that like meditation and mindfulness and so much of what station I talk about is for everybody and can benefit everybody. So yes, I think that that is a really good point and that it can be for everyone. And that also just side note anything done with intention And showing up and being able to like, even if it is just meditating for five minutes and you don't know what you're doing, just sitting there and seeing what happens and what comes up for you. Because I mean, even for me as somebody that has, I don't even, that sounded so obnoxious. Even Even for for me, me, like I am so experienced in (laughs) mindfulness that I don't even know. I, I still have a hard time quote unquote, quieting my mind, which isn't even necessarily the goal as much as it is recognizing what's coming up for you. And I love the part in the book where he talked about when he was at the retreat and he was just like, bird, bird. Shoes, and like bird, going yeah. through. Yeah. And I was like, oh, dang. I was like, I haven't reached that level yet. And I was like, that's something that's curious. I yeah. What that's like. I also like too how you mentioned that it's something that you always can come back to and you can always learn more and take away other things depending on where you are at in this point in your life and that your meditation mindfulness practice is going to evolve and change over time. And you're going to find things that once worked for you that aren't quite as important for you. Cause I'm like, for me, I found that running became an opportunity for me to empty my mind and like let things come in 
that weren't like intentionally thought of. Like it wasn't like, oh, what am I to, what am I supposed to do today? Like I always felt like my most creative moments came during a run where I'd be really inspired by these like downloads that like I suddenly had space to allow in versus like me trying to control and think through everything. When you can create that space through your mindfulness practice, like you allow all these other beautiful things to come into your life. And I think it is such a gift to be able to give yourself some level of mindfulness practice and showing up with that intention again, even if it is just five minutes to start off with. If you are new to this, read this book. I think he makes it really approachable as well as really easy to understand and digest and understand why it might be beneficial for you to include. And again, like I do love the woo woo stuff. And it's funny reading this like juxtaposed to women who run with the wolves because like that is feels like one of the most so woo woo, -woo, but like in a gorgeous, beautiful, like feminine tuning into who you are and your natural feminine awesomeness. And so it's funny that, I mean, I can read both and get so much from both of them about how I want to show up in my life and create practices that work for me. I love that. Yeah. I always describe mindfulness to my friends who were like, oh, I don't get it. Is I'm like, it's like a video game for your brain. And once you unlock one level, you like you can't really go back with mindfulness, right? Like once you're aware of it and once you know it, it's just always there. You don't like unlearn it. And so it just keeps getting better the more that you guys do it. And also saying that for myself because I have not meditated for a while. <laughs> so I'm going to do that right after we get done. <laughs> right? I know. Okay, well, quick side note. I have, you're the one that mentioned it, but I have downloaded Insight Timer and I've actually really been enjoying it. because I, I like Insight Timer a lot. Yeah, yeah, and it also tells you little things like, oh, like this is your third day in a row. And I'm like, okay, yay, cool, Stacia. And it like tracks how many minutes you have. So if you want to like, I mean, I'm not super into like organized tracking of things, but it is just kind of fun to be like, oh, I am consistent, like cool. And they have a really wide variety of like, all kinds of different types of meditation. Yeah, you can add, like, there's so many different things you can find and they add stuff every day, which is great. I'll We'll link it in the show notes. It's one of our favorite meditation apps, guys. They have, like, talks and stuff, too. They yeah. have all sorts of stuff. I have this one that I tune into when I'm, like, doing my makeup, which happens, like, once every two months. Um, or <laughs> so once a year, yeah. <laughs> whatever else, but that just is kind of, like... Uh, an uplifting tune into your higher self and all this stuff. So they have like other things beyond just sitting and meditating too, that I've yeah, just found they really have really helpful. good sleep sounds too, mm-hmm. that I listen to when, um, I can't fall asleep that I highly recommend. Do it guys. Stacia, what is your yay for the day? So I feel like the obvious one would be like, Oh, I had this amazing retreat. But honestly, today I am grateful for the fact that last night I slept through the entire night, which no is spiders. like, uh, I mean, there was spiders this morning and spiders last night. There's always spiders. But in spite of the spiders, I was able to get a full night's sleep, which I, I mean, my sleep is something that I is very important to me. I like to feel well rested. I prioritize sleep in my life because I know that's how I can show up best in my life. But that being said, I'm somebody who struggles to sleep through the night. I've had bits and spurts where I can do like a night or two, but they haven't happened in a long time, I would say in a few months. And so like this morning I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, 
I didn't wake up in the middle of the night and like go pee or Ah. I didn't wake up in the middle of the night and like toss and turn for a little bit. Like I literally got all my REM cycles and uh, all the good things from sleep. And it was just it's something that has been on my mind all day that I was like, yes, I got a good night's sleep, which that is my yay. I love that. That's a good one. <laughs> What's your yay for the day? Um, my yay for the day is on Mondays, I do this project with our friend Lisa, who we went to high school with, called Speak to the Manager Monday. And it's just to inspire um, it's incredible political activism and education. And I have been, which I think is a really normal like evolution, but when you get into mindfulness and meditation, it's like a natural step to also be exploring philosophy, which I studied in college. But I have been getting back into it lately in the lens of logical fallacies, which is just like illogical um, argument structures that don't actually make sense. And so people are really good at those. Yeah, people are. I mean, Facebook (laughs) level comments are a great example of like terrible fallacies and arguments. But I have been thinking about it a lot lately and just like nerding out about it. And I was like, I don't know if anyone would be interested in this, but I'm just going to like write a blog post because I have a blog. I can just like write about things that I'm interested in. And I like put some videos in and it has been like my most popular blog post in months. Dang. Like it is. And people are like sending me messages and they're just like, nice. I've learned so much from this. Um, and my whole like idea with putting it together was we're all having really intense conversations right now. And it can be hard to have like an argument or a conversation with someone in person or on the internet and be like, this feels off or like, something isn't landing and I can't figure it out. And there's a lot of reasons that might be happening, but sometimes it's because someone's argument just isn't structured in a way that makes sense. And so I'll link it in the post, but it's like, I never, first of all, ever thought that I would be writing about philosophy like for fun, uh, but I just am so interested in it now. Of course I wasn't interested in it when I was like paying so much money to go to school and take classes on it, but (laughs) that's another topic (laughs) for another day. Uh, Yeah. And I like, I, as I was writing it, I was like, no one's going to be interested in this. This is like such a niche topic and the response has been incredible. So that's my yay for the day. I've just been really like excited to get to nerd out about this and to see so many other people who are like excited about it too. I just think it's a an important thing for us to like educate ourselves on is how we can better communicate with ourselves. I freaking love it. And I saw that and I have not gotten a chance to read it, but now I'm going to hang up from this call and recording and go read it. Cause go I'm read it right now. <laughs> just kidding. Um, well, before you get off and read my blog post, Stacia, will you share what our book read for September 2020 is our book club read? Yes, we are going to be exploring The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. And I don't know about you guys, but this has been something that I feel like is a long time coming with a large female audience. I think we all have moments of shame and feeling like we need to apologize for not only our existence, but for our body's existence. And so I'm really excited. I've only just begun this book and I know Lizzie's already read it, but it just felt like we talked about it last week and it seemed like a natural fit for where we're at. And I'm really, really super excited. I have it on audiobook because like people oh, said, it's, it's like so church. good on audio. And yeah. uh, I also love that she includes as somebody who like, as an, as I edit this podcast, it's funny to hear her read it. And she includes some of her mistakes. And I don't know if she like, 
includes all of them because if it's all of them like she's made two so far and so I'm like you're an incredible reader for the fact that you weren't you don't stumble over your words but I appreciated that she recorded the audiobook herself as well as kind of included the human side of her reading through it and sometimes not always getting it perfectly but I think it's going to have a really important message that I know is going to resonate highly with me and that I hope resonates with y'all. Yeah I'm excited to read it and as always we encourage you guys to get the book from wherever is the most accessible and makes the most sense for your lifestyle. That might be a library, that might be Amazon, a local bookstore. I'm really trying to practice not shame. I mean, I shop on Amazon all the time, but I'm trying to practice like, I feel like there's a lot of shame on people shopping from Amazon. And I just want to call out that like, that might be the most realistic for someone depending on what's going on in their life and their budget. So if you need to get it from Amazon, get it from Amazon. You do you. Do what's going to make the most sense for your life. But we'll include the link and the details below. Yeah, I'm really excited to read it. Me too. And don't forget, guys. Hey, you got this. <laughs>